I don't I don't know. I haven't heard I don't think I've ever met another person with that last name. Shazi? Not like only effing Shazi is the <laughs> password to the bank oh, account. Man. That's a good one. I should use that. <laughs> we talked about kind of getting started with Audi Club yeah. and doing uh doing events. Where where did you start in this? Like beyond that those events like how did you get into the space yeah or how so, did you get your car enthusiast going so i i um was real when i was younger like in early on in high school i was really into car audio which kind of got me into cars and uh, i got kind of bored with car audio because you can only put like so many subwoofers in a car and shake it apart and um and so i was uh start, starting to get interested in cars and um, I moved to California my senior year of high school, and one of my dad's childhood friends um, owned a, a, a wrecking yard out here for, for Audi and Volkswagen. He would buy wrecked Audi and Volkswagens and part them out. It's called Adrian and Auto Wrecking. And so my dad uh, promised me that he'd buy me a car if I, if I moved with the family to California because I really didn't want to with my senior year of high school. And so he said, I have, I have a childhood friend who who can get us a good deal on a car. So we went uh, down to a German and I didn't know what Audis were. I'd never heard, I'm for, I was from Nebraska. So for me, it was like Nissan, uh, those lowered Nissan pickups with the, yeah. and like a Honda CRX, you know, that was the kind of stuff that I was into. And so he, he pulls out this uh, Coupe GT. It was, it was probably like an 85 or something. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, this just looks weird, you know, and we were on the block in it. I just didn't get it. And, um, but, the, but, but, uh, they also showed me an Audi 4000 Quattro that they had for sale. It was an 84. And, uh, and I was like, it's four wheel drive. That's so cool. You know? So like I could drive that in the snow and, you know, I was just a, in high school, but I just thought that like, I didn't know that was possible. I didn't know you could get yeah. a four wheel drive car. And I, I, I always like, thought it'd be cool to have a four wheel drive truck, but I didn't want to drive a truck around, you know? So that kind of stuck with me. And, um, and then, so I ended, I ended up getting a CRX and that lasted for about six months. And, uh, and then I, I actually made friends with his son and we became really close friends. And so he really started kind of getting me into the Audi universe. And, um, I just like interesting things that are different. And there was so much to learn and know about Audi. And, um, and so I, I went to junior college and my freshman year at this junior college, um, I took this like auto shop class and I don't know why, but, um, the, the instructor showed us that ESPN piece unfair advantage. I think it was hmm. called unfair advantage. Right. And there's like, I think I told you this at dinner, like there's my life before that. And there's my life after that. And. And when I saw what Audi was able to do with the Quattro that I that I had noticed and thought was novel and interesting, and then the way they went into these series, dominated with this technology, and, and to the point of they did it so well they got banned from it, and then they went to the next one and the next one, and the, the sounds these cars made, and, and so I was just like, and so I actually had a I had a I bought that Audi 4000 Quattro that 84 that they had, and so I just thought like there's similar DNA here. I want, I want to make my car into that. I want to connect with what Audi did. You know, I just want to see and touch one of those cars if I could. But so this was like probably like in 90, 
95 range, remember, uh, 94, 95. Um, and so I, I just kind of became obsessed with modifying my Audi and making it more like an Audi race car, but there was just nothing. There was yeah. zero. And after a few years, this company, which everyone's familiar with, Two Bennett, um, I actually ran into them at Thunder Hill Racetrack. And when I saw them, I was just like, oh my God, someone is doing all the things that I've been dreaming about doing that I didn't think were, I wasn't even sure if they were possible. Like, you could, like I used to go to the junkyard and, and see an Audi 5000 turbo engine. And I'm like, why, you know, could I put that in my car? I would, I didn't even know where to start. You know, I just had right. no, and I actually, initially I thought that the intake manifold, which said turbo on it, I thought that was the turbocharger. <laughs> so I spent a bunch of time trying to figure out how to put the intake manifold that, that, that you know, I just didn't know anything. I was a complete novice. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I, I ended up graduating, um, you know, college, uh, in, you know, like, you know, 97, 98 or whatever. And I was just in full-on obsession mode over everything to do with Audi, Audi racing. I got involved um, with with one of the two Bennett friends. And his name was Tim Valencia. And so he built a 4,000 Quattro race car, and he was racing it in a NASA racing series. And so I would go every weekend to his house and help him build and modify the car. And then I'd go to the track, and, and I was part of his pit crew and stuff. And so I was just fully obsessed with it. So when I graduated, I basically came out of college with my marketing business degree and I was just like, I want to work in the Volkswagen Audi aftermarket. So I ended up getting a job at uh, uh, Eurospec Sport, uh, what, what was actually Overland Parts at the time. And uh, part of my role there is I actually helped create the Eurospec Sport brand that oh, interesting. was their line of performance products. That was me and, and one other guy that we launched that. Um, but then I ended up going to work uh, for another shop in town called New Dimensions that it's long since out of business, but they were yeah. one of the bigger, more well-known Volkswagen tuners in, in the 90s. Um, and so I, I bounced around at, at some of these aftermarket opportunities. And I, I learned a lot about what not to do uh, in, in business. And then I um, went and dabbled a little bit with some Silicon Valley startup stuff. And then I ended up at a, a startup for about four years. But um, the time that I was at the startup, I, I was really starting to in it, build what initially eventually became zero to four motorsport and there was a product when i was at eurospec that, uh, that i proposed it was one of the products that i really wanted to launch when i was there and the owner just thought nobody would want it and it was it was a dumb idea or whatever and so he, i actually ended up leaving there and but I, I kept working on that product with this engineer who had contacted me about it and so we continued to develop and build it and that, that was the first product. It was called 034 EFI. It was a standalone ECU yeah. that could run fuel injection on a five-cylinder. There was really nothing on the market at that time other than like a MoTeC, which was like $10,000 back then. Right. And so this was like 800 bucks and you can rip all the wiring off your, your engine, get rid of all the CIS crap and you can install a fuel rail, you know, connect 40 or 50 wires, install some sensors and you can like program your car on a laptop. So it was pretty revolutionary. And that's, that's what launched 034. And I started selling those in like 2003. And then for about two years, I worked full time and did that on the side. And so I slept like, I literally slept like four hours a day for like two years. Yeah. And, and, and people, you know, when people talk about, you know, they work really hard early in their career to do things, you know, I, I literally just, I worked two full-time jobs. Well, plus, and right. then just, just slept like four hours. And, uh, 
And so in 2005, I was able to quit my, my job, the job at the startup that I was at, and I went full-time um, with 034 Motorsport. And, uh, you know, the, the rest is kind of history. It, 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 it grew really rapidly. And um, initially it was the, the, the killer app was the 034 EFI ECU. And then all the, pro the there was a whole product line surrounding the installation of, of that product. And, so certain brackets and sensors and everything to, to make it fit. Uh, we, we ended up uh, adapting it to the, the new newly released 1AT because in, for like five years, no one could tune 1ATs. And so mm -hmm. I was selling, we were selling full standalone ECUs to convert A4s and S4s to our ECU. And so uh, the fastest 1ATs and 2.7Ts in the world for, for quite a few years were on 0340 EFI. Uh, and, and then finally, kind of by the, the mid-2005 era, um, ECU tuning finally caught up with things. And so, so at that point, we, we started transitioning away from the standalone product in, in kind of like 2010, 2011. Uh, by, by 2014, we discontinued it completely. We, we no longer support it. And you know, we're much more the, the company you see now, which is kind of the, a classic tuning industry model with ECU software. ECU flashing software and a really nice product line of suspension, braking, and performance parts. Right. Um, but for me, it was it was uh, I'm I'm lucky because I got to uh, you know I got to do you know there's a cliche I got to do what I love and um, the the company is very much um, you know rep, the company is very much a representation of who I am at the time. You know, so when I first started it, 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 it was just manic and fast and furious and a lot of DIY stuff and nothing was finished. And um, you had to, you had to do everything, you know, you had to finish everything yourself as the customer. Right. And then, you know, and I was 30, I, you know, loved racing. I, I was going fast and it was more of a lifestyle business for me. I was using the, the business as a vehicle to have different experiences in life. And, um, and so, you know, I had to start getting more serious into my forties, like, do I, you know, probably should start thinking about retiring someday and having a retirement savings and kids are, you know, getting to go to college at some point. And so, you know, the, the business, you know, it's always kind of, kind of reflects where I've been and it's, it's been a great experience. It's, it's been incredible. It's funny how that works. I, it sounds too like, um, not to compare because who knows uh, where the hell we all were, but like you yeah. look at those times of like, um, you know, I look, I look at us at Vortex or I know when I, mm -hmm. when I talk to Scotto about Hoonigan, like it's there, are, you get through that time or like if the hustle, you know, the hustle has to be strong to, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's working around the clock. Then you have kids too. And it's like, wow. <laughs> like, I remember, I remember yeah. for us at Vortex, my Jamie Vondrusco, who was my partner there, like when he, he had his first child a couple of years before I had my first, and like watching the difference, like when the kids mm -hmm. hit that hit the scenario and you're like oh <laughs> it changes everything yeah. yeah yeah well i had my first kid in 07 and i i was working like seven days a week around the clock and and so when you know my son before my son garrett was born i i, I just was like I, I i i can't do that so i made a commitment to, to not work weekends and that was my right. my big thing and then i had to hire more people and it, it had a huge impact on the business and i had to grow the business and cut costs and just so that I could have weekends off. Yeah. Um, so that I could see this kid that I, you know, 
just created. So yeah, no, it, it does. And I think that's the interesting thing about small businesses, right? Is it, it very much for good or bad reflects uh, all the people who are in the business, uh, especially the leadership, you know, from the top down, Right. you have a big impact. So the more I've been able to improve myself and work on myself and, um, you know, hold myself accountable and, and grow emotionally and in other ways that the business has been able to follow suit, but I've always kind of been the limit for what, what, what could make the business better. It's, it, it really was me that was limiting it all along. So. Interesting. Yeah, no, it's funny how, how reflective it can be in that regard. Yeah. Well, and you have to, otherwise you just keep, if, if you want to stop making the same mistakes over and over again, you have right. to reflect and, and see like, what. You know, why are we beating our head against this wall constantly? But you see so many small businesses, that's how they operate, you know, for yeah, years yeah. and years. So. But yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I'm incredibly fortunate. And I would, you know, I would say if anyone wants to follow suit, it's not an easy road by any means. Um, starting and running your own business is, is brutal, you know, from a yeah. money and finances standpoint. Um, I've, I've fired half, I've fired 20 people in one day. Laid, laid 20 people off in one day because um, I, I knew I wouldn't be able to make payroll, you know, during, during hard times and recessions and mistakes that were made and, and whatever. So you, if you can't make like really hard decisions like that right, and you can't survive and no matter what, you know, you just never quit. And again, I think anyone who's like you mentioned, Brian, and I'm sure, you, you know, you know what it's like to in the positions that you've been in, you, you have to be able to just overcome every hurdle and just never never stop yeah. right and that's not for everybody i think a lot of people would just be like no oh, I, I, I call it quits you know it's too much yeah well it's it's almost a twofold thing right i think you, what you're speaking to there is really any successful small business that mm -hmm. requires growth right like 100 you, you need to do that but then on top of that you have this extra level or layer of you're working within your passion and so that's kind of like <laughs> Well, on one hand, that's great because it makes every day entertaining and stimulating in some way uh, in that regard. But on the other hand, you can dull or ruin your passion if if it, if it makes you miserable. Uh, the business does, the pressure from that does. And on top of that, I find like uh, we always wrestled with uh, when you start, everybody I'm sure would love to work within, if you don't, you know, depending on, right, I, there are plenty of people who want to work within their passion. So they might look yeah. at a company like Zero 034 might look at, at, you know, Audi club or uh, vortex or Hoonigan or any of these, right. And be like, Oh, that would be the perfect job. I want to do that. But the other challenge we always had at vortex was like more, everybody says they want to do it, but like the idea of like what your passion means to you and what working within your passion means to you, it doesn't just mean that you're driving cool cars every day. Right. No. Like, and, 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 and like, so you have to like, just be able to distill down to like the people who just want to do it because they want to drive cool cars every day or or the people who are like, yeah, I get it. And I've got the killer instinct and the work, work ethic. And that's, yeah, that's you're hundred percent right. I mean, this is a business just like any other business, right? It's really not. If you, if you look at this business on paper next to a company that sells, you know, pork bellies, it's, it's really not different. Uh, in fact, you may not be able to tell the difference between uh, a company like zero food Formula sport and a, and a company that sells commodities. Um, but the passion for what you're doing is what drives you to get through the hard times, to, to do new innovative things, right. um, to do things bigger and better, to compete viciously, you know, with with the, the competition. Um, but you're right, your your ability to 
the extra energy you get from your passion comes at the expense of it being your passion in your personal life. Yeah. And, um, and, and that is a hundred percent true. Like for me, um, I, I actually wouldn't even say I'm a car guy anymore. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I love, I love biking and fishing and cooking and woodworking and speaker building. Those are kind of the things I do. I have zero desire like if I built my dream house right now, it would not have a lift. It would not have an auto right. shop in it. Um, I, I come, I can come here every day, right? And we have all that, and I have wonderful engineers and mechanics that can work on my car for me, so I don't have to bang up my knuckles and and uh, do all that. And I've done that for years. So for me, uh, my passion has really become uh, building and running a successful business that treats people well that offers people, you know, career opportunities, uh, career advancements, uh, that, uh, you know, sets a standard in the industry for, uh, you know, customer service or product quality or, you know, how we conduct ourselves or, you know, all those things. Um, marketing ourselves in a unique and different way that, that other companies don't. Or, you know, yeah. Those are the things that excite me now. Not not to say I'm not passionate about creating amazing performance products for, for cars. Right. I'm finding fulfillment and passion in other things. And, um, and at the end of the day, we have to run a great business, just right. like you would if you were running an insurance you know, company. I think, I think that's the, I'd be curious your, top, your thought on kind of where you were as you're starting on 34. Cause like for us, when we were starting Vortex, my, I worked for a family business and my dad was very supportive of me kind of engaging my passion through business as well. So like uh, he, he was, he was, helpful in letting me do both right or making it possible for me to do both so like I was very like as we were forming the other guys went full-time before I did because I had the flexibility to not do that but like it was living in the, both those worlds doing both things at the same time we I was literally like a sales rep for like tools right for like yeah. which was which was it was a dying business because Home Depot and Lowe's and all these companies are coming that are going to like kill the segment and um, and, and there's not going to be a lot of money in it if you're not one of those players. So like yeah. seeing the way the tea leaves were going, it made sense to be looking at an alternate exit anyway. But I was, I went through this brief period of like, I'd be, you know, at the Geneva motor show covering a new, you know, launches, of, you know, whether it's this new Audi concept or like Bugattis or, you know, whatever. Uh, but then coming home and doing like a trade show selling shovels. Right. And, and so it was like, you know, trying to live in both worlds, I definitely saw the value of the passion stuff because it makes it a little bit easier to get up every day and do it and be excited about it. Yeah. No matter what I do in my life, I, I do have to be passionate about it. So, so for me, I'm still passionate about it, Right. but I'm not spending any time in my personal life doing car stuff because I, I, I do it well, you get for it. my job. I get, I get my fill on it. Right. Um, and it would, it would be kind of almost neurotic for me to do car stuff in my personal life as well as my job that's the thing right like we just got back from monterey or like i'm sure you know you yeah. you and i have both done events are probably a lot of our careers like i i wrestled that with like like next year we had when audi was going back to Le Mans, like you know they're, they're of course they pulled the plug on that program and they're going to formula one now so like but there was this plan to go over there and i and now the debate is because we already had some things booked like, do I just go and be a fan? Like, I don't, I, I, and I don't know how to do it. Right. Like I, I, and it's not like, I, I don't mean that in some dopey way. Like, look at me, first world problems. I might go to Le Mans. Not, <laughs> like it's more, 
let me put it a different way. When we sold Vortex, the first couple months that I didn't have anything to do and had no purpose, I was stressed out. Like I didn't know how to to just go do whatever. And and I like, see that. yeah, yeah it, it was probably where I lost the most hair. I, you know, like slept the least, whatever. <laughs> and like, it should be a great time of life, and it's completely stressful. And yeah. and uh, and I kind of feel the same of like if I go to a race and I don't have to do something there, like like cover it yeah. or meet with people or like like something shoot photography whatever like it almost seems like why am i doing this right i should should be home with my kids i should be doing you know something else um so i i actually at this point like throwing purpose into an Mm -hmm. overindulgence because in my head i can kind of justify the overindulgence because it's work (laughs) yeah right does that make sense 100 percent. i think i think you know the vast majority of all people that go to events like that are just there to, to spectate and observe so yeah the fact that you have a desire to have a purpose makes you well suited to be in the industry you know? yeah, i suppose and to miss out on the fun racing stuff on the track while you're in a meeting doing something else you know yeah so yeah it's it's uh it's, at the end of the day it's just you know it's it's the outcome of the work we do that matters and uh, and you know that, that's that's kind of what counts yeah all right so i'm curious about your your spec hmm. And you're working around some, like their collection that they had at the time. Well, that's why that's why I went to work there, right? Uh, and I basically, uh, I think I, I basically sent a, a resume and a cover letter there, and, and I was like, I'm not, I'm not taking no for an answer. Right. So the, the owner was like, Well, I really don't want to hire anyone now, but you know, if you want to work, you know, for ten dollars an hour, I can find some stuff for you to do. And I just like, I literally graduated with a college degree, and I'm like. Dad, guess what? <laughs> I just got a job for ten bucks an hour, you know, yeah. and which which was probably not more bad. money in nineteen ninety eight than it is now. But yeah, uh, it was a lot less than I should have been making. But uh, I didn't care, you know. I was, I was early in my twenties, and I just knew I wanted to be there. And then uh, I ended up getting to work with and interact a lot with um, the Audi race cars that he had. So he had a, a legit uh, Trans Am Audi. I think it was, I, I forget. What, isn't I that forget the one Zach Brown has now? Yeah, it was sold a few yeah. years ago. Yeah, I think it, I think it was sold to um, Alan McNish's PR guy, Martin Pass, also worked with United Motorsports, which is also Zach Brown, who's, you know, okay. runs McLaren F1, right? Yeah, yeah. So so when that car sold, at least, I don't know where the others ended up, but when that car sold, it went back to, um, I know Martin and he was kind of keeping up to date. They restored it. And I think he brought it back and did a couple of years ago, they did Monterey historics, you know, yeah. At, at yeah. Rolex. So Steve, the ex, you know, the, he, he Steve Sodkin passed away, I don't know, probably six, seven years ago, but, um, he, he bought these cars and he would take them to the track. Um, and so, cool is that? so he'd run, so I, he would actually run them at Laguna Seca. Um, and so. So inevitably it was like, hey, I'm taking the car out this weekend. You know, can, can you take a look at this hose or whatever? You know. So I got to start working on these cars. And um, he had with, with the car when whatever I don't know the exact history when he bought it, but it came with a load of spares. And so there was all these clip locks. So I ended up going through all the clip locks. And you know, clip lock is a four by four by two foot cardboard uh, plywood box. And um I went through an inventory of all the spare parts. There was all kinds of cool stuff in there. I still have pictures huh. of, of a lot of it. And um, and then eventually, you know, we we would you know, restore the car, we pulled the motor out and rebuilt it. And, you know, the turbo would have issues. And so 
but we kept the car very original. Um, and then he, he also had a, another car, which was a converted IMSA GTO. And that was the car that I just, you know, both, both cars were cool, but that car was the ultimate. And so that's, if you've ever seen it, it it's the Rothmans C4S4. Yeah. So Audi did basically, you know, destroyed all those cars, but a few were sold and repurposed into different body types. And so some, uh, so someone in South Africa bought, got a hold of one of the X IMSA GTO cars and rebodied it as a, as a, as a C4S4. And it was, it has spot, it was Rothman's livery all over it. It's like a yeah. car. Uh, but that was legit IMSA GTO underneath. And so then I got involved with that car too. Correct me if I'm wrong, because you've probably been around that car enough that you know way more intimately. <clears throat> but from what I understand, the Trans Am, the 200, was kind of based on a road chassis, body and white, they build up from the 100%, front. yeah. And, the, and the, the 90 IMSA GTO was kind of a tube frame, bonkers. Like they, was, looks, yeah. they look similar sitting next to each other, um, but, yeah. but, but much more developed. No, the... The, the the 200 you know was built by a private you know race race car builder in the what, what was his name um, i think he was out of florida but basically audi oh, group group 44 like yeah the, what was his name i think they were out of alexandria virginia if we're talking about was the that, team they, they worked with the, like curly haywood was involved in that program and like um they, they um, basically got a body in white you know audi 200 and uh, so and that's what it looks like so it looks like a race yeah. car like a, a shop like 034 motorsport would build um, right the imsa gto is a space two frame and it's it's a whole different level um, it's it looks like it's you know it belongs in and you know some kind of Le Mans racing series you know well um, those so in, i mean it was in the gto class in imsa at the yeah, time right. and and the other thing Hurley told me, I interviewed him years ago. Maybe I should reach out to him and see if I can run that interview as a podcast. Yeah. But um, but one of the things he told me in that was more um those cars were were they they didn't think they'd do 12 or 24 hours. So they didn't do Daytona or Sebring, but otherwise they ran the whole mm. the whole the whole season and won in a season, yeah. right? Like I, I yeah. believe they got the championship that first season and that was it. Um but yeah, they yeah. were no really, really cool car crazy. and they the IMSA is a whole nother level of, you know, fabrication quality. Um, yeah. But the, the 200 was cool. Cause it's just like, you know, it's, it's, it's like something that nowadays anyone could build. Although there's, there's still a lot of trick stuff in it. Um, you know, all, all the uprights were magnesium and the really? motor was, was all magnesium and, and really trick. Um, so yeah, there was, there was, those, those were really cool. So I got to interact closely with those cars, which was amazing. And then, um yeah didn't he also have i thought he had like a dtm car he did he did he had a dtm v8 as well uh, which was it was uh more nicely developed than the 200 uh, it had kind of like it was still a body and white car uh, yeah but it had more of the the, the parts of fabrication from the imsa gto because they were you know similar era cars right right and i think audi was was directly involved in that yeah, I'm totally blanking on, on the guy's name in the U.S., but there there was a privateer in the U.S. that that built the first uh, Trans Am car. Yeah. Well, the, the it was, it was nicely thing, done, but it was not for, an Audi effort. Oh, wasn't it? Like they I, were in, they were involved with. It. I mean, Audi paid him to paid this 
this shop to build the car but it wasn't you know the amsa gto was was built and designed yeah. by at audi in germany they um they were also in the u.s because this is probably like a joe hoppin thing is my uh, guess. joe hoppin that's what i'm thinking of. well yeah. J- joe was joe was head of motorsport for porsche north america audi north america yeah. mm-hmm. volkswagen uh so like um joe I know, again, from Hurley, and I think I know the guy who bought these cars. He tried to buy a Trans Am, but it was too expensive at the time. Um, but, he, the, but he, I think when he was convincing Hurley, they ran some 200s at like Petit Le Mans, what Hurley mm-hmm. said. But like they were, they were not the Trans Am car. They were like just tuned yeah, yeah, yeah. 200s. Um, and then, yeah, so, so Hoppin was Audi of America, right? right Effectively right. at the time. Yeah. So like... I don't know. I've, I've, unfortunately, he's not around anymore. That's a really fascinating time in like whether it's like Buffum getting the the Group yeah. Four car uh, mm-hmm. and then some Sport Quattro, you know, some some Group yeah. E Sport Quattros. Uh, that's all hopping and like those cars. Right. I think both these programs, Trans Am and IMSA, are kind of like Audi going, "What do we do now after Rally?" and mm-hmm. and hopping yeah, going, "Oh, I got some stuff." All right. Yeah, yeah, and and they took what they learned in Rally and they applied it to road racing, which. To their credit, you know they they completely revolutionized rally racing, and then and then they brought that same technology to, to road yeah. racing, and that was what was always so inspiring to me is that, you know, how how does someone bring that level of innovation and outside of the box thinking, uh, you know, to a series where so many people are just doing the same thing over and over again? Yeah. So that was really cool and inspiring to me just to see you know, how Audi did that. And they did it like two, three, four times in a row. Um, I wish right. we still saw that same type of innovation from them. In some ways they've done it with diesel and electrification and things like that. But I wonder, I'm curious how the F1 thing plays out because yeah, they're not, be you know, the manufacturers in F1 aren't messing around and you have some yeah. serious, you know, whether it's, you look at like what Audi, look at the way they go from like rally on is they go in and they change with technology right so they push the technology edge bringing bring, bringing all-wheel drive into rally and they dominate for a couple seasons right but then by the time you get to like group b the sport quattro and the the e2 are like they're fast but but at that point mid-engine is kind of passing them right like you had to be mid and they were starting to test mid-engine honestly with that like they um, did yeah there was a, a prototype right yeah there's like east germany walter rural yeah. the boxy thing and then of course the group was a group s the concept that the audi tradition has now but um which is the only remaining one that never made it group e ends but like then they go to pike's peak where like again those cars were kind of resetting the norm or the schema at pike's peak yeah. and even unser new you know i'm not going to set the record without them right like that like i need to enter in one of those to to right. to to do it and he does in 86 but yeah. like but then they go same thing they, they 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 jump into different sections of racing to kind of like push the envelope so you know trans am imsa uh even dtm with the all-wheel drive but like uh and then they do it again in lamar with like the the whether it's the fast rebuilds on the r8s because even towards the end of r8 yeah. they're not that that fast compared right. to their competition <laughs> or like the tdi i guess that's what like i'm I'm almost more interested by Dakar right now than I am by Formula One or the, the connotation of it, or even had they gone ahead with an HPDI because like 
going into Lamar with it with the the IMSAs. It's such a spec affordable formula. It's not like the science fair that was LMP one, right? So like the yeah. the 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 R18s were were very much of a science fair kind of project where these are you choose the engine, but otherwise it's you know spec hybrid system, spec battery. Um, it's not it's not really like the hypercars. So like to me, the the science fair has moved on to the car. That that car is such a an experiment spaceship, right? Like the yeah. um it's almost in the spirit of what Audi Sport has done throughout their you know from the 80s on where they've been dominant it's it's pushing the technology yeah i'll have to check i haven't really read too much about the dakar stuff so i'll check that out dakar is it's what's even more fascinating about that program and we'll see because they're about to i think they're launching their second evolution of it for this year's series um there is a series around it too there's like a rally raid series that fia has done so like dakar is the main one kind of like lamont is to to fia wc Um, but like the car is a hot, I don't, I don't want to undersell it. It's almost like a hodgepodge of what they'd invested in. Right. So the range extender is the DTM engine, the, the, um, the, the energy converter from the engine, the, the range extender and the electric motors are the drive units from that they developed for formula E. Right. So they, they've got all the sunk cost in this amazing racing. So they're going to repurpose a lot of that. Right. Yeah. And so, and they went, if they hadn't had the suspension failures that they had, cause it's a heavy vehicle, but if they, if they haven't had the suspension failures that they experienced at Dakar, they'd have probably won it. Um, they were very dominant. Right. And that's what kind of a lot of people were saying after Dakar was like, once they figure that out, right. It's not gonna be fun anymore. Cause that's for whatever that opinion is worth. That's what Audi does, right. They look at the rule book and go, how can we yeah. engineer technology around this and dominate? And that's that's when they're at their best. So like that's really I don't know how they do. Right. Yeah, it's fantastic to watch. And it's funny too, like going from like a Formula One race or a Formula E race, which is like a couple hours, to like Le Mans. You look at, you know, I, if you're used to Le Mans, you go watch a Formula One or a Formula E race, you're like, what's yeah. the point? It's over in like two hours. Right. But like, but then you look at the car and it's like, it's like a month long right like from start to finish you're talking about weeks so like um you know it's it's fascinating for that too because you can follow along day by day it must be grueling to cover on site like i don't know how you just drop out of real life unless you're with a team i don't know how you drop out of real life for like that many weeks in the middle of nowhere that's great but yeah yeah, but it's it's i love the science fair nature of it to me audi and engineering in racing has always been when the the most interesting and so dakar to me is the program but no, I agree. Yeah, it, it, I also really love the, uh, you know, the champion motorsport era for, for yeah. Audi. And that's that's when they, they worked closely with the privateer as well. Um, well, and that's the, yeah, if there's a downside of that Lamont program being uh, shelved. It's that it was, it was approachable like the R8s were. Yeah. Right? Like, I, I think that's where to do it. That's what really benefits the tuning industry and in in that kind of, when, when people can see Audi models racing and yeah. that's inspiring. So when someone can say, you know, I've got an RS6, oh. just like they have an RS6. Yeah. All right. So, so when you say champion, I, oh, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was referring to like one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that, that was great too. I, all the champion racing, but uh, I was specifically referring to like the, the champion S4 and the RS6. Oh, right. Yeah. But for, you know, Randy Post and uh, Michael, yeah, Gott, totally. Michael Gotti and all that era of racing. Or like before that, t- like the touring car, right? Like the BTC. Yeah, yeah, and then, and then the car. 
very exciting. Yeah. That's just touring car racing is just so exciting anyways. Like, totally, like I, that formula was so magical because yeah. unlike the kind of uh, silhouette cars that DTM became after that, like these were, and kind of similar, you had like the all wheel drive Audis against the rear wheel drive manual transmission mm -hmm. BMWs against yeah. the, the front wheel drive, you know, four Mondeos or whatever mm -hmm. else. Yeah. And like it, it was, it was, you know, bring your best and so let's see how it goes. And it, and they looked like, they looked like the car you would drive to work on Monday. Yeah, totally. And just balls to the wall racing, you know. Yes. Yeah. Just, just like, how are these cars getting around these corners? It's insane. Yeah, totally. But uh, yeah. that that's really exciting. I'd love to see um, more more Audi racing like that. Just just for the sake of the enthusiast market. So but. so so. So here's the magic. We can be two old men just complaining about how things change. And and but but like he, the magic in racing, right? Is for the for the fan. That's or at least fans like us. Like that's what's magical about it. But I think the challenge from like a safety perspective or a performance perspective in racing is other than like GT3 racing, yeah. it's moved so far beyond that, right? Like DTM was full on silhouette, nothing remotely other than yeah. like the shape of the bodywork on that chassis. Yeah, no, those are like mid-engine V8s and all this stuff. Right. Uh, I mean, but it, it it's still a port, right? Even NASCARs have graphics that make them look like a Ford Taurus or whatever do, it is. But do know? people really think? I, I, I think it does. Know. Oh, does it? I think I absolutely. I think I, I don't think they would do it if, if it didn't matter, right? I mean, yeah. If, if there could just be a, a bunch of, you know, nondescript, you know, whatever shaped cars with a bunch of advertising on it but the right. manufacturers are specifically looking to reinforce their brand and the models right. in their brand right so they, they benefit a lot from emulating the look and, and the concept that this is still a ford mustang even though there's zero anything to do with it right i'm, I'm not i don't know uh, ford is racing a mustang nascar uh, they, but, i think they are yeah i don't know anything about nascar and, other than just and, a high level concept <laughs> that toyota rear-wheel drive camry yeah it's, exactly it's, <laughs> it's uh it, to, to me nascar i mean I, look it, it, i doubt many people will listen to this podcast and care what i think about nascar but like yeah. to me nascar is more like it's a lifestyle thing right like it's entertainment but it's not i'm sure it's a real sport i don't mean that but it's such a marketing yeah. machine no you're right it's it's eclipsed it's eclipsed auto racing yeah, you know, it's 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 more than auto racing. It's it's right. It is a lifestyle. I mean, if you've ever been to a NASCAR race, and <laughs> I don't I have to say more than that. <laughs> All right, no, I haven't. Go sometime. Yeah, um, we don't get a lot of NASCAR out here, but um, I don't know when the last time NASCAR was at Sears Point. But there's yeah, they... there's Sears Point every day of the year, and then there's Sears Point when NASCAR is there, and it's a completely different. Is it? I think I think when Matias Ekstrom was like Red Bull sponsor, weren't they? They were running a Toyota team, and I think he ran. Um, I think he ran that track, right? Yeah, I I, I believe it's one of the stops on the it's the road. It's one of the road. Yeah, it was. And they kind of do I, Chicago, which is weird. But yeah. I don't that's know. That's the COVID, other. Well, it's been disrupted. That that's the other side of it, though, right? Like looking at the car. Like I think some people are looking at Formula E, like NASCAR and Formula One. Are looking at Formula E and seeing these like city center races and the attendance they pull, mm -hmm. and uh, man, we got to go to city centers. But I don't know how you do that with like a, you know, rally raid. Car. They're they're fun. Um, we used we for a few years in San Jose we had um, <clears throat> Indy, and I mean it's just crazy just seeing 
an indie car doing you know 190 down first street in san jose you know yeah uh, really cool but i don't know they stopped doing it for some reason but it, i mean the science of, or rather the attraction of it right like even if you look at like um like have you ever heard of or gone to the pittsburgh vintage grand prix no no i have not so it's kind of like a it's vintage racing right but it's it, but it's concord around it on certain days and they've got different events throughout the week it's a little bit monterey car week light right like but kind of similar but that one of the things at least at the time and it's been a number of years since i went it was always conflict with Waterfest, but like um but they they pull crowds the numbers they pull are insane because it's in like shenley park which is this park that's like kind of in the city it's near like Pitt and oakland and and whatever but it's very approachable to city dwellers and and people in that metro area so like you know it, it's kind of hard to justify driving out to sears point if you live in san francisco because you're going to spend a fair amount of time doing it yeah but now if it's in downtown san francisco the amount of people who just come in for the spectacle of it yeah uh is harder than i so yeah, but it's very disruptive, and I know yeah. um, business. You know, a lot of businesses would get kind of marooned on the inside of the race course, right. and yeah. I think there were businesses that were complaining about loss of ride. I don't know all the details, but um, but yeah, anyways, that, that that's really cool racing. I like that. And it's very approachable. I think uh, you know the the more Audi races real real sedan looking cars or, or real models the the more enthusiasm it drives and builds in the, in the customer base. I wish TCR had more of a foothold here. Um, mm -hmm. That RS3 yeah. LMS that they have. Well, those are cool. Um, I mean, those are really neat. Um, and and they do they do a certain amount of that. Yeah. It's just I mean, the, it's... The, the bigger, you know, Audi just like with, um, with World Challenge, that Audi just got so much visibility, you know. Right. Well, and they I, were for some reason, whatever the case. They were they were like at the time within Audi's product range, they were leading. They were the performance leader product within the range, right? Yeah. And so, like, and and it, whereas like an RS3 LMS is more of a, it's an entry level race car from customer racing, right? And so it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it it's was a, more of a it, customer racing effort. Yeah. So so. Is it, it is it as inspirational as you know the programs? I mean, not, not certainly a racers. It's much more approachable. If you want to get into racing affordably and have a really capable For a vehicle, racer, yeah. it's a great product. But to inspire, yeah, to inspire enthusiasts, it's it, it's a little harder to get your head around. Plus, it's you're not getting the broadcast or media exposure either because it's not right. top, top media team. exposure. It's not on ESPN or whatever. And then you get like yeah. kind of some celebrity status driver that everyone's interested in. You know. Yeah. Yeah, but the the privateer out of customer racing stuff is great too. I think they, I heard that they sold over a hundred of those cars. Do you know what the numbers are on it? On which all of them? On the R, like the RS three LMS. Boy, that's a good question. The other problem right now is I don't know that like I don't know that Audi Sport Customer Racing in the U.S. is fully functional, like the distribution and mm. whatever, right? So like while the German programs. It. Yeah, and, and those series are kind of like the problem with the US in that regard too is the series are so spread out where when especially in Germany yeah. and Europe in general, sure. Um, there's less distance to cover mm -hmm. there and and gosh, their whole series like the LN that's entirely at the the, the Nürburgring. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Mm -hmm. but um I know I think Unitronic just got theirs, uh, the team that runs uh the 
They've been, did they get another one? I mean, they've been sponsoring. They, they got the new one. Oh, they got the new one. Okay, got it. They just, they just cool. got the new one. Okay. I don't know. I think NGP hasn't yet. And I don't know how that changes from like Canada to, yeah. well, wait, I think Unitronics team is the US based anyway. But I'm, whatever. It's, it, there are so few teams running it at this point. I don't know that like Audi Sport Customer Racing in the USA is, is supporting yeah. There aren't any R8s. And, you know, when you, especially like IMSA, nobody's running the gt3 so while the, the the latest evolution is running in europe i don't know that anybody is in the us and without yeah. that support it's not going to grow um yeah, so, it's a, I, yeah. i'm sh i was shocked that they they're doing any of it you know, any of that yeah. customer racing stuff but maybe they're trying to emulate what porsche is doing or something it's or interesting right? like volkswagen group i mean if you look at I, you know, obviously Dieselgate changed things, but like, if you look at peak motorsport at Volkswagen Group, you've got like, um, what WRC Polo Championship winning. You have LMP1, Porsche, and Audi uh, Championship winning. I think Porsche won that year, um, or you know, Audi and Porsche were usually vying for it. You had at the GT3, or well, then you had GTLM Porsche running 911s. And then at GT3, you had Lamborghini, Bentley, Audi, um, who am I missing? Porsche at GT3, right? Four programs. And then TCR, you had Seat. Um, and I'm not even counting, like, I think there was a, like a lesser rally program for Skoda maybe, but like uh, you had Seat, Audi, Volkswagen, GTI in TCR, right? Mm -hmm. So the amount of racing programs that, that Volkswagen was doing as a group yeah. uh, and, and, and developing, because it's not like, even, you know, you can look at the two LMP1s, they were not the same drivetrain, not even remotely. They didn't share anything. Right. So like, right. and, and the challenge to that is, I think I remember at that time hearing they did a media exposure study and like Mercedes that was championship winning in Formula One at the time, this is pre-Netflix, you know, Drive to Survive. Mm -hmm. Like even then Mercedes was getting more media exposure out of that one program mm -hmm. than Volkswagen Group was getting across everything that I just mentioned. Wow. Um, so, so like that's the that's the magic, right? When you're, when you're Volkswagen group or Mercedes stroking the check, it's like, you know, why are we doing this? And and if media exposure is your litmus. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I get it. I get the challenges there. I mean, even at zero through four motorsport, we have, we've dialed way back on those type of efforts because while they're fun and yeah. exciting, um, the ROI just isn't there. Yeah, you what's a great way to make a small fortune in racing? Yeah, yeah spend, a, spend a big one. Start yeah. with a big fortune. Yeah, start yeah. with a big one. Yeah, no, it's hundred percent true. So, yeah, there's there's uh, a lot of money, a lot of money being spent on that stuff, but it's just so expensive. Yeah, We're talking about fifty thousand dollars a weekend, you know, yeah, to, to run to run a car like that, and then trying to get the crew and travel expenses and. It's it's a lot of money, so yeah, the, the chance that you can make money on doing that is pretty pretty slim for most companies. Yeah, but but you know if you find a rich guy who wants to go out and, right and drive and he's willing to pay you fifty thousand dollars a weekend, then you're kind of in business. So we did we did that for a number of years. Well, you guys um, did you guys did that what the twenty five hours of yeah Hill? that's when we we won the twenty five hours uh, overall in in our in a TCR Audi. TTRS that um, well no it wasn't a TCR it was what that was, was that that mark two right what was the series before it was a VLN class VLN. and that it car was a, the VLN that car was, was a VLN developed class car yeah 
Right. It was it was an Audi Audi built car for VLN, and then the car was delivered here, and we we basically outfitted it for endurance racing. Was uh, that car a five cylinder or four cylinder? It was a it was a stock, uh, you know, Mark II TTRS five cylinder. Okay, but it was front wheel drive. It was front wheel drive. Had like three hundred series slicks on it. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, and, that's what the TCR RS threes are front wheel drive, right? Like that's, yeah, and yeah. I think they're four cylinders. Um, and, and they're fat. I mean, uh, yeah, it was it was very controversial when we would post about it. Everyone would be like, "Oh man, it's front wheel drive." And, and our, our response was, it, "Audi tested, uh, yeah, various you know uh, configurations, and this was the fastest." I mean, well, it, I think and that, it, the car was was by far the fastest car we've ever been associated with on a race. I track. think that that's so, the point, right? Like as much I like quattro and i like five cylinders and whatever else but i'm sure a lot all this was tested for maximum speed maximum efficiency like get around the track faster and win the race right and so it was like, it, it was yeah. i mean it it easily won the 25 hours of thunder hill against all kinds of rural draft cars didn't it? so yeah um and, and the key to the key to winning 20, the 25 hours of thunder hill is, is just keeping your car on track yeah. and, and and running very fast laps for 25 hours but um but yeah, so I mean, we did that, and we were working with a, a private individual, you know, a high net worth person who uh, had a dream of getting out and racing, and uh, we we were able to help him do that. Uh, we we did that three years in a row with, with that that individual. Uh, but you know, it, it it's great. It was we we certainly learned a lot. It's a huge focus. To, it took a huge focus, you know, to do that stuff. So. You know, you, you end up sacrificing on product development, engineering, and product development. So, right. Uh, our service department was consumed with you know, rebuilding race car, you know, parts and broken race car parts and crashed race car parts. So uh, we, we 2013, when when we finally won, then we we ended it and have, have since really not done too much of that type of racing. We now, um, we have lots of Audis here with our parts on them and we take them right. to track about five, six, seven times a year. So we do a, we do a lot of track driving with our cars uh, on track, but we, it, you know, there's just not, like, I don't know what Unitronics deal is with their car. I doubt they're making money on that program, but, um, you know, you, you could literally go out with your car <laughs> on a Tuesday night and, and drag you a 10-9, break the world record, and have everyone in the world know that you have the fastest team on the market right. with, a, with a $300 draggy, you know, and 20 minutes of your spare time. So that that's that's kind of, you know, I think if you're smart with your money and resources, you know, you, fo- you focus on getting the results and those kind of opportunities. I'd imagine it's probably a, a it's a different set of, success measures right like if you're running in a series that has you know events and televised coverage etc then it's an exposure and branding yeah. situation and then if you're you know like the, i to me that it seems like the drag racing scene is is a bit more you know it people are hyper aware of it but it's not like this televised packaged thing um, no not at all I'm, I'm literally talking about doing a draggy on your phone um you know and i'm talking about you know bank for the buck um, yeah. But yeah, if you want to build a brand over long term, that type of racing can help. I think um, certainly the exposure doesn't hurt. It's just what do you pay for that? Sure. Um, and what could you have spent 
what, what kind of brand building activities could you have done for the probably yeah. over the years millions of dollars you'll spend on that so you know yeah. um you know for for three hundred thousand dollars a year of racing like that you could i mean you could hire three extra customer service people to make sure that everyone right. you know and you could uh, hire a couple extra shipping people to make sure that orders ship out the same day you know so you, you could and then that type of activity over, over time the kind of brand that you want to build is they're excellent quality parts they have great customer service they ship fast on time i know where i'm right. gonna buy my parts from and the fact that i see them racing a factory audi on tv it's like well so those are the kind of decisions I've, I've had to make over the years and i've certainly gone down all different paths you know it's it's funny right like i uh even for us at audi club it's like just in a conversation uh with my team about this today right which is like when you have it's i suppose the 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 it's the problem of every small business it's like when you have a certain limited amount of resources and yeah. you have you have so much to spend on you know and even on your own team sometimes i know we've we've had differences of opinion of like well we should spend it on that or you know go this way or whatever and um like it's 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 i'd love to do it all or or get yeah, it launched immediately but you have to pick it in a strategic way and hope you picked correctly because um because like they obviously they all net different results but yeah and you can't do it all yeah. inherently if you try to do it all you end up with a lot less right <laughs> you actually create a result that's much worse by trying to do it all so the, yeah. the, you know the kind of winning opportunity is where do you do just enough of the right things right pick the mix and you eliminate just enough of the wrong things or the, the lesser opportunity then you kind of hit that sweet spot that's kind of you know maximizing the compromises that's that's where you know typically the best result is but it, you know, sometimes it, you, you got to say no to things you don't want to say no to sometimes yeah. people, like their feelings hurt you, know, you got to talk about that so um you know so yeah so speaking of investment, you guys, uh, do, do you have anything cool coming out that's worth like any or anything that's super hot right now that is worth mentioning since we're as far as products and stuff? Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, we always we, we, we have a uh, we've been able to substantially grow our engineering team over the last few years. And so we just have a, a slew of new products coming out. A, a lot of this stuff is. <clears throat> pretty esoteric and like, you know, pointed into certain applications. So we have like a, we've been working on this for a while, but we have a really cool uh, fuel surge tank for the Daza cars. Um, specifically, these Daza cars have so much power and the, the tank is designed as such that even with like three quarters of a tank of fuel, you can still get fuel starvation on launching and really? accelerating. So in, in order to address that issue, we've sort of taken the fuel tank performance out of the loop. And so we, we have a, a billet aluminum can that has a, a PWM fuel pump in it, a very high flowing one. <clears throat> and then, so all we're using now is the stock fuel pump is to pump fuel into our, our little uh, huh. surge tank. The surge tank cannot starve because it's always 100% full of fuel. So you could you could throw 20 G's or 50 G's at that thing and it's you won't there's there's the fuel, there's no air inside it. So right. there's always fuel around the fuel pump pickup. Um, yeah, and so so that's exciting. We're, we're about to release that. It'll be like a full full kit, uh, full bolting kit with the wiring and the fuel lines and everything. Um we have we always have a, 
springs coming out. Uh, we have a whole line of, of parts coming out for the, the 4M Q7. So it's a lowering, lowering spring package, sway bars, uh, some inserts, and uh, 21 inch wheels. That the whole program is designed to work together. I, I daily drive a 4M Q7. So Okay. Excited so about a, this program. That's a steel suspension car. Are you? Are you doing? Yeah, yeah. This this is. Um, we do have lowering links, so if the car has air, the sway bars and all the other parts will work. You would just use our lowering links Got it. Um, to lower the car for like 150 bucks. That's that's Got definitely it. the way to go. Um, and the, the, it just makes that Q7 just drive and handle more like even more like a car. They're, they're actually really good stock, but right. Uh, my car has three 15 inch tires all the way around. So it just has a ridiculous amount of grip. That's really fun. And then we have a, we'll, we'll release kind of like a five, 550 horsepower tuning package for that as well, which will oh, nice. just, you know, augment the supercharger system run more boost. That's, we had, we had one for a while. It was such great product, um, but it, yeah. it, it was, so I had it earlier uh in pre facelift right so like the, yeah, those yeah. early and it was an air suspension car and i think if there was one i had one complaint about it it was that right like i it was my wife's car so i wasn't driving all the time she didn't really care but like um suspension was was you know i i think they fixed a lot especially like sq7 i hear is fantastic but oh yeah i'm sure but the, um the, that's great that you're because that's the, that the sprung car on. with our springs and sway bars i mean it's yeah. just it it probably handles or, or feels better than like a stock S4, you know, like it's, yeah. it's, it's just really well set up once it gets some modifications. And you can still load it up with seven people. You can still fill the trunk. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you it's can, like a big bond and it still has road clearance. You can still take it to the snow. You Does know, it? It's, it's not slammed or anything, but okay. the thing has like six inch, you know, fender gap. And so we reduce it by three inches or inch and a half or something like that. Or, uh, uh, it's like 40 to 45 millimeters, so almost okay. two inches. Um, but it's still still 100%, you know, daily drivable, movable. Right. Um, so yeah, and then uh, I don't know if you've been following any of the stuff we've been doing with the B9 3.0T S4. Uh, we just had our in-house um, SQ5 run a 10.95 uh, in the quarter That's mile. Right. Zero to 3.1 seconds, zero to three. 60 in an SQ5. Uh, it is a full weight streetcar. No, no lightning or modifications at all. So that's fantastic. So you you can you can pretty much you know make a, a daily driver reliable 700 horsepower. The only the only uh, caveat is you have to run uh, an ethanol E85 blend. Okay. Uh, so you have to run like E60 or something like that. But uh, you can also run full E85. And the power goes down a little bit, but uh, really, really exciting time to be if you're if you enjoy tuning cars. Um, the Audi line is just it's just unbelievable. There's never been a time like this, not not in the last 20 years, well ever. <laughs> yeah. Definitely not not even close in the last 20 years. I mean, like the kind of 27T era of tuning, which was frankly pretty horrible, um, unreliable expensive uh, you know this is a different era where right. you literally take a stock car for you know about six or seven thousand dollars in parts you can take it from you know 350 to 700 plus horsepower it's and and, and have it reliable and all really? built on 
no, no permanent modifications. And if, if you're willing to sacrifice a little power, you can keep the factory catalytic converter and it can be, you know, basically emissions legal as well. Right. You would pass any tailpipe, you know, test. And that, that three liter is in so many vehicles now. It's in everything now, yeah. yeah. It's even in the new, the 4M and a half Q7 has that. Right, yeah. So, but yeah, no, it's a great motor. It's incredibly, we're doing all this on the stock motor too. Stock oh, really? rods and everything. No internal modifications. So it's, it's really, and the engine management Robust. systems just keep getting better and better too. So the control right. you have over the engine, you know, helps with the reliability because you can really control the power and then you can make power everywhere because it's variable valve timing, variable cam timing. Um, it's not like the old days where if you put a big turbo, it's all of a sudden really laggy. Right. You can, you can completely reprogram the motor's volume, volumetric efficiency and uh, still have that power everywhere kind of performance. So yeah, it's really cool. Really cool what you can do these days. And again, the reliability is the key. <laughs> Yeah. We don't want, we're not here to blow up anyone's motor, or even have anyone get stranded or anything like that. That's, that's no fun. Right. Yeah. yeah. But the cool thing too is just like, I think that's what I've always loved about, um, even from the 1.8T era on was like how eye opening, you know, I think my, the first ride I got in a 1.8T B5, right? That had been tuned. Uh, yeah. I was down at like, at the time it was like VW Sport, right? Like 1552 early days in DC. And they had a tune on a B5 and it was like, I'm a VR6 guy. And you get in that and you're like, you know, this is supposed to be the entry level. Yeah, yeah. Whatever, right? <laughs> and like, it makes such a monster out of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and like you said, here we are at this. It's never been better as far as the potential in, in you know, while you can do that with an RS3, um, you know, one expects that when you see all of these cars uh, setting records, et cetera. But like, but then you look at like more of an everyday approachable vehicle, like anything from like a, you know, an A4 to a even a Q7, mm -hmm. and and being able to do that and still, you know, live your daily life taking yeah, the, you, you could you could literally be driving around in a 700 horsepower Q5 you yeah. know, if you wanted to be, which it sounds like Nick is doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not even an SQ5, just a Q5. Yeah. You know, talking about right. a sleeper, and then you could roll up on just about any muscle car, supercar, hypercar, anybody. Yeah. You know? So yeah, it's 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 cool, and then you know. Again, the fact that it's just so reliable. Any, anyone could drive these cars. Right. Anyone who, with a driver's license. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. Do you worry about that at all? Like, not to it'll turn this back around because we're, we're coming up on two hours anyway, but like, yeah. and I, I don't want to take too much of your day. But, um, but like, that when, back when we were talking about electrics, right? And the par the whole parlor trick thing of like immediate power and, and insane levels of power is like when you get to the point where, like, would you say, like, I think, maybe 10% or 20% of the cars now in California are, that you're seeing are like electric, yeah. mm -hmm. right. Or Tesla's whatever, like the, the, when you have that many people in cars that are that capable and we'll throw in those, those, those three OT cars that you're talking about too. Right. But like, when you have that, like one of the things I like about driving around in traffic is that like, <laughs> usually my car can, you know, sure. can, 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 can can get around, make the pass faster than most of the yeah. other people on the road. But I wonder how that goes or how much we start to hate each other when like everybody's in a car that can kind of put down that yeah. kind of ridiculous. We're, we're definitely in the horsepower wars era, you know, I mean, the manufacturer, yeah. this, this is ultimately the manufacturers, you know, are enabling all this by uh, 
producing really good performing engines. The arms race. In, yeah, insane uh, power and torque producing motors that they, they have to tune and dump way down. Right. Um, but yeah, no, that's there. Uh, you know, you, you imagine, I don't know what a Toyota Camry makes these days, probably like almost 400 horsepower, Probably. <laughs> but imagine taking a, a Toyota Camry back in time, you know, right. you, you, you could beat up on everything, you know, from, yeah. from any other era. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting time. I, I do wonder how much is too much. And then at some point, you know, like at, at some point, do their their speed limiters in cars, you know? Oh, I it, it actually kind of astonishes me that the government lets us right. drive around in thousand you, horsepower cars. When I was a kid, I always wondered because I live here in Pennsylvania, right? One of the first toll road turnpikes in the United States is is here in Pennsylvania, right? It's historic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I always wondered, like my parents were in or my grandparents rather were in Pittsburgh, and I would go out to visit them, and I always wondered, like, why have they not figured out that if they just timed the time I enter the, the toll booth in, in Eastern Pennsylvania and like the time I exit. Yeah. Like even if I stopped for the bathroom, the speeds I was going, especially when I was younger was like, we're like, mm -hmm. there was no possible way to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Unless yeah. you were. I guess it, it proves we do have a certain amount of freedom here. There's no question. I suppose. Yeah. yeah. I, I hope, I hope we don't lose that, but no, I know, <laughs> but it wouldn't surprise me up at some point. <laughs> it's like, Hey, you know, I mean, certainly what, autonomous driving that that will happen at some point yeah although, well, although hopefully the speed's gonna be a lot higher but. yeah and they can run cars closer right like if yeah. the cars are communicating mm -hmm. they you know you can you can get in a train and and that should yeah. lessen traffic yeah I'll take 100 miles an hour yeah. right yeah the, the other thing i noticed with our e-tron is like um uh like speaking of pissing people off or, or going fast right like but i've noticed with um in traffic when like if i'm in my uh yeah we first bought the e-tron i had an s5 right and if i would take my kids to school in one of those two cars uh and you go down this highway to get to school and 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 if i there was like i'm trying to get around somebody on the right right because they're blocking the passing lane and if yeah. you get on the gas in the s5 even with a like stock exhaust you're phoning into them that you're about to do something right sure. like you're signaling i'm about to be to piss you off and they and they close the door on you right like if there's not mm -hmm. that much room you might have enough speed to get through but even then they're angry and yeah. i noticed with the e-tron that like you can snipe it and not only are you not phoning it in it doesn't really break their trance right mm -hmm. like they don't really seem like even though you just did the exact same maneuver mm -hmm. that you would have done in the s5 like like you've not you've not woken them up and alerted them to that so they don't even they're just like passive about the entire experience so right. like there's something about exhaust now as much as i love it's the like sound a, of it, it's like a jedi mind trick totally yeah and as much <laughs> as i love the sound of a great sounding engine like it's it's i almost like the stealth of the e-tron because yeah. like no i can see that i get it's more efficient to get through traffic i can totally see that now i i, I drive a lot of fast uh, loud annoying cars and it definitely pisses people off no question yeah. about it yeah. <laughs> it triggers something primal right like you're it's a competitive it thing does. or whatever yeah I, yeah people get real rover ag pretty easily these days yeah, yeah yeah it's like i don't know you just you could just keep sitting there in your trance doing right. the speed you were doing and i'm just going to go around you but now you heard me and dude, <laughs> and now you're speeding up <laughs> the, the Jedi mind trick thing. So, so that I actually have a term for that too. But like I read, I was reading a column that Jack Ruth wrote, I think for Roden track or Haggerty or something a, a year or two ago, but like, um, but it was similar deal. I noticed when I was young, like if you, 
you know how somebody's in that trance in the left lane and and you're sitting behind them and you're like come on right whatever and you get i've noticed like if you kind of roll up not in a racy way but you roll up next to them and then like because they're they're match they're kind of like matching somebody right so you, yeah. there's they're blocking traffic if you pull up into their field of vision and then back it off slowly mm -hmm. they will match you because they seem to be like in a trance and just sort of like they're kind of like zoning on that car and if they zone on you you can kind of back them off and then full throttle and in right yeah but like you, you're totally describing um i in california we have i5 that goes yeah up and down the state but if, if you're going from la to Southern California to the Bay Area, you know, you're on I-5 and it's two lanes, speed limit's 70. Right. But inevitably there's a semi and just someone in a Toyota Camry or Prius just sitting there doing the same speed as a semi. And yeah. then you have this line of cars, you know, sometimes right. 20, 30 cars. And so I'm always the guy that just goes in the right lane and I accelerate down to the end and I just get kind of up next to the car and then the whole line starts moving forward because apparently they needed to be reminded that they're you know well that's there's I other people that. on the road or something i don't know i don't know what that, it feels. my wife will get so usually we have like this long trip to maine every summer right and especially yeah. massachusetts something about massachusetts people sit in that left lane like on the mass pike you just go in that third right lane and you can pass everybody yeah but um but like i will do that too where like i'm you know a couple cars back there's no way i'm gonna get around this guy but sure. if I can't, if I can't, if I can't even get in his field of view, I'll at least try and obnoxiously like run up and like break the trance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. my wife will be like, you were never going to make it. Like, I know I was just there. to no, wake him up. Like everybody yeah, thinks I'm the asshole now, it, but like, it's, I was just you, waking you are, George, yeah. you're a huge asshole. So well, I mean, aside, that's a whole, not, nothing to do with the traffic situation, but focus. <laughs> we're the assholes that are applying yeah. pressure, you know, well, somebody but, needs some pressure applied to their life. It, you know, it's, it's, it's just a trance, right? It's how do you yeah. manipulate the chance? If you, if I wake them up, then they'll make the pass. But like, if I suddenly roll into their field of view and kind of back them off, that's the Jedi mind trick. Then you're like yeah. right in. Right. And I, I just, think, I just like to think of it as we're reminding them that there are other people on earth that also yes. exist yeah. and have needs and would really? like to get home or go wherever they're going. That, that's such a weird thing that, that <laughs> others the on the road one. would be myopic yeah. and selfish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're not the only ones. And it's actually very dangerous to sit next to a semi as well like i yeah, would never yeah. want to be doing you know 70s next to a semi whose tire could blow out and come creating right into me you know at, at any given minute so do, do you have you ever driven like a, a pickup truck with like a bunch of crap in the back like have you like that sounds like a nightmare to me i just i do not like anything in the car sliding around no i know right all. all right so i live in central pennsylvania and around here we do that kind of stuff right and mm -hmm. so like I have an old pickup truck that we primarily use for like, like when we're clearing stuff around our property or whatever else, I'll take it to the dump, right? Like, yeah. so it's, I'm literally going three miles. So I'll like tie it down and whatever, but you still have branches and whatever. And it always amazes me when I take that thing uh, or like occasionally move furniture, like you see a truck under load of something. And, and all, more often than not, when I see trucks like that, it's not tied down, right? Like just, sure. <laughs> they're just going across town to the dump. But like people will ride right behind you, like right on you. And I, like, I will literally pull over and just let traffic by because like, they don't get, like if I'm in my car and I'm behind a guy like that, I'm like three, four car lengths back. Like, yeah. I'm not going to get hit by any of his stuff. I don't want to certainly tailgate someone like that. Right. I, I, it's like people don't even do the math, right? Like yeah. they're not even, I'm sure they care to some degree. They don't want to be dangerous, but at the same time, they're like, yeah, whatever. They just, they, they just see a vehicle yeah. in front of them. And they're not even thinking twice about what it means for them. 
I, th I think this all just means that there's just a lot of people zoning out on the road. Yeah. They're aware of what they're doing. So is autonomy good or bad? Because I think those 100% are good. Who, Bring it on. I agree. Those people oh, got autonomy immediately. I want autonomy. Okay. Like, you know, when, when I do my 30 minute commute to work, I would rather yeah. be on Instagram or, you know, Facebook or reading the news. I just, a million things I'd rather be doing than just mindlessly driving. Do you uh, have the uh, start, stop and lane assist on your Q7? That one does not. Uh, some yeah. of the other cars we have here does have that. I'm, some people really love it. I'm not crazy about it. Just, just because it, I don't always use the blinker and I should, but you know, God yeah. forbid, I just, there's nobody around and I just want to move over a lane. And I'm fighting with the steering wheel. Oh, so yeah, I've, yeah. I've learned to just use the blinker or you just turn off traction control, but I'm not crazy about those things. I, they're not quite there yet, but they they got but the first one that i really drove at any distance was like the what two a generation ago s8 right like that's where audi was starting to do it but that would have if somebody would drop into your field of vision like i, I was yeah. going through ohio in like a press car and um somebody drop in and the car really breaks right oh and yeah then, yeah it slows way down you can right, set and, the aggressiveness but still and, and but then i got into an early forum like my wife's had a, she had a prestige q7 and like that was the first one that was like somebody would drop in the car could kind of contend with it right mm -hmm. like it was it was more human in the way it would yeah. slow down and like right. even even the latest generation like our e-tron is is really quite good at it and i find especially like you get like around here i don't really use it but i get out on the highway or like we make that run to maine or i go down to dc and i'm in traffic and like it's such a godsend because like it's it's amazing on a long drive like that how how much it like it like less fatiguing the drive is because like i can have a conversation and um it kind of mainly does its thing now like i did get into a situation in philadelphia where like on the skuko Expressway, which was notoriously bad but like uh somebody was like dead stopping in front of me and the car like that at that point the car was like you know in the heads-up display like oh you're gonna get in an accident yeah. right, <laughs> you right. better take over right now right and i jammed yeah. the brakes and we were fine but like but like uh i don't know i find it's really it's really um i i'm not anti like a lot of people are anti that because they're a driving enthusiast like i'm a driving no. enthusiast the road's nice but if you put me in traffic i'm fine handing over the yeah and I, I don't think there's a scenario where where all roads are autonomous anytime soon right you know um, I, I think you know it will start on major freeways and things like that and then you're going to get off the freeway and you're going to have to take control of the car to get home and if you want to go into a canyon or a, a windy road somewhere, you, you still can go and do that. And of course, then there's track driving, um, which which I think will always be around as well. Yeah. Um, I, I really like the auto. What is it called? Auto sense, the braking thing. Yeah. So what's called that? Um, that's pre-sense. Pre I'd like that in every car I drive because there are times where you know I can be distracted if I if I happen to look down because my phone's buzzing or something. Yeah. The auto sense is has helped or saved me in, in some, some cases yeah i i think you find people against that too but like um I, I like i'm fine with it there are a couple times that i will it i will unintentionally trick it and it will you know it'll panic break me oh yeah yeah is, like you're waiting to take uh the only time it really does it to me I, and i can know that the exact two intersections that i use a lot doing it but like if i will come off break as cars are coming past me because i'm about to juice through traffic mm -hmm. and it's still sensing that car going past me like I've, oh, really? timed it, I've timed it early enough that like i'm not going anywhere i'm off throttle right but like i'm my my foot of the brake my brake 
is off because I'm about to juice through. And like, it still senses that car and it senses me coming off break. And it's right. like, you know, the car starts rolling and then it's like, boop, and, you know, mm-hmm. everything starts sliding up and it, jam- yeah, yeah. it jams and everybody in the car is like, what the hell? It's um, kind of scary when, when it does it. I, I'll yeah. get, I'll get bit every once in a while if I'm dive bombing a, a red light or a stoplight and there's cars that are still stopped, but I, but I can go right pretty fast. Yeah. And so as I come up on those, I mean, I'm, I'm going past the stop cars, but for a moment, it thinks that those cars are going to be in yeah. front of me and then it, it, it will trigger there. Huh. I haven't had it do that. In yeah. But no, overall, I really like that feature. And yeah, no, I'm, I'd no, love to say- be in autonomous traffic. You know, that, that sounds great to me. I think it's much safer too. Yeah. It saved my bacon like enough times where like I'll deal with like a couple times it reads me wrong. Like that. I'm yeah. fine with that. Yeah. But like, um, like that time on the school coke express like i was in rrs6 and like you know i'm talking about we were coming home from my kid's birthday like we were in the city for two nights with my kid and you know she's in the back like arguing with her friend and that's very distracting and my wife's trying to talk to me and so like i had autonomous on and then you know this panic stop thing happens and like i would have wrecked the car had had it had it not just kind of gone sure, like in sure. it you know it was it was i I, I'm going to assume that in autonomous, there's only so much braking it'll do before it's like, you need to be in control of this right now. Right. But I mean, it was all about telling it scared the hell out of my wife too. And she's like, why aren't yeah. you You're like, whatever, <laughs> did we not in the car to hear them arguing with each other? Right. Like, yeah, uh, well, they, that's the compromise, right. Is you, you have, you have to be hundred percent focused on the road and right. just like yelling at your daughter to stop arguing because it's distracting. Yeah. You know? so, but I mean, that's real world too. Right. And I think is, that's yeah. where those systems are invaluable to me because i i can have those conversations and it still saves me and i don't know well we can talk another hour about autonomous driving and, uh, <laughs> like if, if there's if 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 the autonomous system knows inevitably there's going to be an accident how does it choose what happens to who and what yeah so, like, interesting uh, ethical dilemmas around that too no right and on top of that the insurance thing right because you hear well, like, then the liability associated with that yeah so now, like, now now you're 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 contending with a situation where the system determined who was going to die, you know? Oh, so is it, did it commit murder? You know? Wow. Yeah. You know, so it gets kind of interesting. And I think that's going to be the, the liability is going to be some of the big challenges for autonomous driving. Yeah. You know, who's going to want to program that? Who's going to want to enact yeah, that code? Well, yeah. I almost think I've heard like, <clears throat> trying to think who I've heard talk about it, maybe Matt Farah, like, mm-hmm. like, podcast stuff like this yeah. i know he's he's very outspoken yeah about he's elon. great i like him yeah yeah and outspoken about elon and tesla and whatever i know he's cut some black for that but i think his his critiques are fair but where i'm going with that is like until i think he's talked about um you know if full autonomous if the liability then shifts to the manufacturer right the person who or the 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 entity that provided the programming and the hardware to yeah. to do that um and how that works then with the mechanism of car insurance right like if i'm driving liabilities on me or the insurance covering me but if you know the, the audi is driving or yeah. the tesla is driving or whatever like i think inevitably there's going to have to be some some laws and legislation written to, to protect you know various parties from you know yeah. these there's in some of these there's going to be no no you know no winning so someone there has going to, have to be some type of shield for some of the yeah. stuff that happens I and mean, we see this in other parts of society too yeah, it's interesting stuff. AI is a whole, <laughs> a whole other thing. And then there's AI. Yeah. Well, then yeah. beyond driving, that's just kind of scary too. So totally great and scary. 
Well, like you said, uh, I'll do a callback then, right? Like what you said earlier in the, in the, some other young whippersnapper can figure that out at that point. I'm going to be retired and my yeah, Thomas car can drive me around. It's inevitable, <laughs> it's right? Yeah. It's, it's definitely, it's here. It's not going anywhere. So. Yeah. Thank you for giving me the time today, man. I appreciate yeah, it. I know we likewise. covered a lot of ground. But. I always uh, enjoy talking to you. It's always yeah. very interesting and I always learn something. Me too. Same here. Uh, so thanks. And uh, I guess we'll kind of think when I'll see you next, but we need to get back out to the West Coast. Yeah. Or we, or we can do this every once in a while too. I enjoy okay. it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Cool. All right. Cheers. All right, man. Take care. Thanks, George. All right. Later.